the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hurricane Ian's death toll reaches 77, causing $100 billion in damage. That's still 750,000 people who are still in the dark. Ukraine applies for fast-track NATO membership. Putin's rushed annexations are signs not of victory, but of mounting desperation. Markets plummet for a third straight quarter. It does seem that we can check that recessionary box. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Monday, October 3rd. I'm Mike Scott. As a result of Hurricane Ian, the death toll in Florida reached 77. According to reports, about 1,000 people have been rescued from flooded areas along the western coast of the Sunshine State. Robert Sherman of News Nation says that currently the biggest concern facing Florida is restoring power. I will tell you that a chief concern for the state of Florida is restoring power. And Governor DeSantis says they have crews all across the state working tirelessly to get to that point. He did say that power has been restored to about 93 percent of people across the state. But that's 7 percent. That's still 750,000 people who are still in the dark. And you take a look at some of these county-by-county county breakdowns, and these are the places that are still most impacted. You have Lee County, over 60% of people without power. Uh, that's where Fort Myers is. Charlotte County, that's Punta Gorda, still over 60% of people without power there. Collier County, that's Naples, 25% without power. DeSoto County, where we are still over a third in the dark. And then Volusia County, all the way in the northeastern portion of the state, that's Daytona a beach well away from where the eye made landfall here in Florida, another 18% without power there. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says that some areas may need to have their entire infrastructure rebuilt. Some of the areas like Sanibel, Fort Myers Beach, some of those, they may have suffered real severe structural damage to the underlying infrastructure. So the question on that becomes, do you have to rebuild the infrastructure? And if you do, uh, that's just going to take a little bit longer time. Sherman says that DeSantis is urging all of Florida to come together to tackle the crisis. Such, a, such an emphasis placed on Fort Myers, Naples and the coast. But there are counties all throughout Florida who are reeling from this storm and still need a lot of help. The governor did say that FEMA assistance has been expanded to some of those more northeastern counties here in Florida, up towards Daytona Beach and some of those places. But his point of emphasis was that can take a lot of time and that won't necessarily get you everything you need. He says it's going to take a united Florida, non-government organizations, charities coming together to get through the early onset of this crisis. Dan Schuyler lost his home and his business to Ian and recounts the harrowing experience that he and his family faced. Well, this is my fourth hurricane uh, staying at the house, and um, me and my wife and two dogs were in the back bedroom when the eye was coming in at about 5.30 over top of us, 
and it sounded like a freight train was going to take the roof off. So uh, water at that point had uh, reached to the top of the bed. Uh, we were up to about four feet of water inside the house. Dogs were swimming in the living room. Uh, we said, I said to my wife, we probably need to go to the garage and get inside the SUV. We have a Lexus SUV. That might be the safest place to ride out this heavy wind, uh, knowing that it's in the garage. So we went to the uh, Lexus. We got inside with the two dogs, and water started to come into the garage, and it came up to as high as the top of our steering wheel. Shiner explains that after Ian, he and his family have nothing left. With that note, you know, I just we just prayed and I uh, said, let's get back inside the house. Went to the back bedroom and just all huddled right there. You can see that picture. We huddled on that bed. You see how high the water is on the mattress. And um, that was probably about 630. And the eye started to dissipate. The winds dropped. And the water came in just as fast as it went out. It's like it blew it in and sucked it right out. So extremely dangerous. Um, There's nothing left of the house the boat or the cars. Everything is gone. General Daniel Hokinson, chief of the Florida National Guard, said he's seeing a lot of damage that Ian did around the state. You see the winds that had uh, broken trees off, knocked a lot of them down, a lot of homes severely damaged, uh, a lot of roof damage, and frankly the shoreline being pushed up into some of these buildings. Uh, The first floors and many of those just literally wiped out. Salem Radio correspondent Roger Shulman reports from the front lines of the devastation left by Ian and describes the current situation he is seeing in Sarasota, Florida. A lot of the schools need to be completely rebuilt. They've been flooded. They have mold. They don't have electricity or water. So some kids are going to have to go to other schools, be blended into other buildings with other classes. So it's a major situation here. The fact that power is out is causing a lot of people not to be able to cook. So they're going to National Guard distribution points and shelters to get food. Ian is considered to be one of the strongest hurricanes to hit the U.S., impacting millions along the Gulf Coast. On Friday, President Volodymyr Zelensky submitted a bid for fast-track membership to the NATO alliance and ruled out talks with President Vladimir Putin of Russia striking back at Moscow after it said it had annexed four Ukrainian regions. The news came after Russian forces, having been encircled by Ukrainian troops, fled from an eastern Ukrainian city that it had been using as a frontline hub. It is the latest victory for a Ukrainian counteroffensive and troops on the ground, humiliating and angering the Kremlin. The fighting comes at a pivotal moment in Russian President Vladimir Putin's war. Facing Ukraine gains on the battlefield, the Russian president again is threatening nuclear force. ABC correspondent Ian Pinnell is reporting from the front lines in Ukraine. This was the week Vladimir Putin crossed a point of no return. Formally annexing four regions of Ukraine, Russia illegally subsuming 15% of Ukraine's territory, the biggest land grab in Europe since World War II. In a ceremony at the Kremlin, Putin effectively doubled down on a war he's proven incapable of winning so far. 
We'll protect our land with all the forces and means at our disposal, he said. Putin using the speech to make a call to arms to Russians, telling his people they're in a global conflict with the West and America. Later on Red Square, an emphatic Putin. Leading in cheers a crowd that had mostly been bussed in to try to rally a nation now in a war that Russians can no longer ignore. Pinnell explains that experts believe Putin's actions are proof of his desperation. But in Ukraine, the event was marked by a Russian missile strike onto a convoy of civilians in Zaporizhia. One of the deadliest in months, killing over 30 and injuring dozens. The cynical strike underlining the reality... Putin's rushed annexations are signs not of victory, but of mounting desperation. An attempt to reverse the fact that in Ukraine right now, Russia is losing. Moscow doesn't fully control any of its new regions, where this week sham referendums were held. People often voting in the looming shadow of Russian troops. And this weekend, the strategic city of Liman in Ukraine's northeast falling to the Ukrainians. <laughs> just one day after it was annexed and declared part of Russia. Pinnell goes on to say that Putin's military draft has created a huge backlash. Putin's military draft orders creating a backlash, triggering an exodus. Hundreds of thousands of Russians voting with their feet, flooding out of the country. I don't want to kill people and I don't want to be killed. Enlistment officers have been set on fire. In Siberia, a man shooting a recruitment officer. In many regions, protests briefly breaking out, forcing Putin to publicly concede mistakes were made. The mobilization itself is unfolding chaotically. Pinnell explains that new Russian troops are normally poorly armed and untrained. The new conscripts complaining of no equipment, saying they're being thrown into battle without training. All signs of deepening trouble for the Kremlin. There are growing fears that Putin may take more desperate steps. This week, issuing a thinly veiled threat that Russia may use nuclear weapons to defend the newly annexed regions. This is not a bluff, he said. The White House now more worried than at any point in this war that Putin, backed into a corner, could indeed use a tactical nuclear weapon against Ukraine. Pinnell states that with Russia annexing territory, Many experts on the ground now see a Ukrainian counteroffensive in those regions as a means for Putin to try to escalate the war. As winter approaches, the world asking, how far might a desperate Vladimir Putin now go? When the Ukrainians attack the annexed territories, which is almost a given, Putin will regard this as an attack on Russia. The question this morning is how does he respond? Will he really follow through on the nuclear threat? Retired U.S. Navy Admiral James Stavridis joined the Salem Radio Network and said, in the event Russia does use a nuclear weapon in Ukraine, the U.S. and its allies will pull out all stops. Certainly all of our forces would go on the highest stage of alert. You have to remember NATO, of course, is not just the United States. It's a nuclear alliance. Stavridis says a nuclear attack by Russia in Ukraine would draw an unprecedented response from the U.S. and its NATO allies. The French, the British nuclear forces, our nuclear forces, our conventional forces, everything would immediately spike in terms of readiness. Our entire intelligence system would hone in on the uh, point of explosion. 
Nine European NATO leaders issued a statement backing a path to membership for Ukraine and called on all 30 nations to ramp up aid for Kyiv. Vice President Kamala Harris created a backlash for recent comments made in a speech when she suggested that federal Hurricane Ian relief should be based on equity and prioritize people of color. It is our um, lowest income communities and our communities of color that are most impacted by these extreme conditions and, and impacted by by issues that are not of their own making and so we absolutely and so we have to address this in a way that is about giving resources based on equity understanding that we we fight for equality but we also need to fight for equity the vice president's comments quickly went viral with many taking to twitter to condemn harris's comments including tesla's ceo elon musk who wrote that the dispersal of relief money should be issued according to greatest need, not race or anything else. Joe Callis of News Nation says the rapid response director for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is demanding the vice president clarify her statements. So Vice President Kamala Harris, there seemed to suggest that race and income would be factors when it came to deciding where uh, resources would go and which areas are impacted by natural disasters generally would be prioritized. The VP's remarks did prompt, as we mentioned, some anger and some backlash from Governor DeSantis' office. His rapid response director, Christina Pushaw, tweeted this. She says here, this is false. The VP's rhetoric is causing undue panic and must be clarified. FEMA individual assistance is already available to all Floridians impacted by Hurricane Ian regardless of race or background. Uh, and notably, Elon Musk, who's also been inserting himself into politics more recently, took to Twitter and agreed, saying, quote, should be according to greatest need, not race or anything else. President Biden signed into law a bill that finances the federal government through mid-December. Daybreak Insider's Ed Donahue has more from Capitol Hill. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says this bill has money for some top priorities. $12.3 billion for the fight for democracy in Ukraine. $4.5 billion for disaster relief. But Republicans like Oklahoma's Tom Cole complained there were no bipartisan negotiations and didn't reflect their priorities. We know we have a crisis on the southern border. You can turn on the television and see it every night. You can look at the fentanyl pouring into the country. You can see the tragedy of human trafficking. Is there anything in this bill that asks us to do anything different, anything new? Ed Donahue, Washington. On Friday, the markets dropped close to a historically bad month and quarter, with the Dow closing 22 percent below its January 5 peak. Investors have been growing fearful that rate increases from the Fed, which the central bank has been doing in an effort to curb inflation, would slow the economy. Lindsay Piegza is chief economist with Stiefel joins CNBC and says, in her opinion, effects of a recession will set in by the end of this year. When we look at nearly every sector of the economy, say for the labor market, it does seem that we can check that recessionary box. And so I do see those recessionary conditions potentially setting in by the end of this year with the NBR uh, as a look back 
declaring that technical recession beginning potentially as early as the second quarter of this year. And so I, I do think, again, the Fed raising rates at this aggressive pathway and looking to their forecast of still being able to maintain positive growth, a very minimal uptick in the unemployment rate, seems at odds with the reality of the potentially very significantly negative implications that a further backup in borrowing costs, be that 100 basis points, 125 basis points, will have on the domestic economy. Piegza goes on to say that the Fed was behind the curve when it came to handling inflation. They, they certainly were behind the curve. And while arguably they shouldn't have accelerated the pathway of rate increases by the end of 2021, they did need to remove their foot off of the, the, that crisis level of policy. But remember, they were still talking about transitory near the end of last year. And so it took the Fed quite a while to grapple with the fact that inflation was becoming more broad-based. So at this point, I agree, the Fed has very little option other than to continue to raise rates. But at we, as we approach the 4% level, that is likely enough to curtail the demand side of inflation. And the Fed needs to recognize that that's a good holding point because a further backup in borrowing costs at that point does little to address the supply side, but will all but ensure recessionary conditions. Data from the Labor Department suggest that consumer prices rose faster than expected in August. The Fed has expressed the need for the labor market to contract before stopping any rate increases. President Biden often blames oil companies for high gas prices, but Governor Gavin Newsom of California revealed the true reason gas prices are so high. Daybreak Insider's Tasha Stevens has more on Newsom's comments. His excessive green energy policies and government regulations are making it very difficult for Californians to make ends meet. So now, California Governor Gavin Newsom is calling on state regulators to relax rules on oil refineries. It's an effort to lower soaring fuel prices. According to AAA, the average cost of a gallon of gas in California is $6.30. That's far above the national average of three eighty. Tasha Stevens reporting. And finally, the family of country music legend Naomi Judd is reflecting on her legacy ahead of a major tour. Daybreak Insider's Jason Walker has more on this legendary family hitting the road. Daughters Winona and Ashley Judd remember their mother as a beautiful, talented, and very complex woman who had highs and lows and was very honest about her journey with mental health issues. Both say their mother used to speak about her mental illness and was also a tireless supporter of animal rescue. Jason Weiger reporting. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.